Hello and welcome. It's Tuesday, the 14th of April, 2020, and we're back with episode 147. Quick reminder, if you're a fan of this podcast, please leave me five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you're in the construction space, or at least have a passing interest in it, and you'd like to learn a bit about how the autonomous mobility revolution is going to impact that space, head on over to our website at hogandco.com to learn more about a webinar that we're throwing on the 7th of May. You can register now. Spots are limited, but head on over to hogandco.com. That's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O.com to learn more. All right, so let's see. Today, what have we got? We're going to talk a bit about design. Why do all autonomous pod car things look the same? Speaking of design, what will legacy automakers do as they try to reinvent for the autonomous era? And let's talk a bit more about COVID's impact on autonomous vehicles and what exactly we're going to be seeing in the coming months and year ahead. All this right now. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. All right, so to kick things off today, yeah, I want to talk a bit about design, and specifically, I was inspired by an article over at Bloomberg. The title of this article is Driverless Cars Have Arrived, and They All Look Like Loaves of Bread. Um, Yeah, it's actually pretty funny because I didn't really see it through that particular lens. It's true. They all do kind of look like loaves of bread, and now I totally can't unsee it. So, but the question is why, and what does this really mean insofar as consumer adoption of autonomous vehicles. Well, I think here's the thing. It's not really it's not really a fair question. It's not a valid question. I think part of this will kind of spill into the next segment in which we discuss legacy automakers' attempt to kind of reinvent for the autonomous era. We've kind of touched a bit about this in the past. I think one of the big things that's been overlooked is really this issue of form follows function. And recognizing that form follows function only in certain areas, or I should say it's defined with respect to the particular function it needs to satisfy, right? So let's take, for example, um, well, okay, let's take one of my favorite topics of all, supercars or hypercars. When you think about it, if you squint your eyes and you look through some sort of blurry lens, they all kind of look the same, right? I mean, sure, some are a bit more swoopy than others. Some, like Lamborghini, well, their designers clearly only work with rulers. They have no concept whatsoever of curved surfaces. I get that. But fundamentally speaking, and especially true of the higher-end, bleeding-edge hypercar designs, they all kind of look the same, especially once you get rid of big, vulgar, aerodynamic wings, in which case then the body itself has to function as a wing. Yeah, there's really not very much to it. And the reasoning for this is pretty straightforward. Well, it's the same reason for which 
airplanes effectively all looked the same, a tube with wings. Yeah, airplanes generally look the same because you've got form follows function. And unless you are some hopelessly fanatical aviation nerd like I am, chances are you're going to be hard-pressed to tell a 737 from an A320 uh, or a 757 from a 787 because, yeah, they all kind of look the same. Well, same thing with hypercars. And so, you know, the issue being that you've got to have a thing which sticks to the ground and, speaking of airplanes, doesn't take off and fly, which it would do, but for the, yeah, somewhat similar, familiar-looking aerodynamic bodywork designs. Uh, again, form follows function. And so that's really the same thing we've got happening here with autonomous podcars. The reason they all look the same, it's sort of like saying, why do all, I don't know, uh, trains look the same or or subways? You basically need a box, which is a glorified people mover on wheels, whether it's wheels that go on a train track or wheels that go on a road. It is literally just a box which transports a bunch of people from A to B. The only scenario in which you could end up having any any possible sort of novelty of design is going to be if suddenly this box on wheels can be a bit, well, less boxy and a bit more sort of curvy and organic looking in which case well that'll work but if and only if you're not trying to maximize internal volume i mean as much as i totally despise minivans as much as pretty much probably all of you listening the truth is if you want to maximize interior volume you really can't do any better than a minivan because yeah it's a box and as soon as you try to get a bit more stylish well suddenly you're less efficient right I think the most glaring contemporary examples of this attempt to be a bit less boring is, well, the swoopy coupe SUV thing, which has sort of sort of fallen upon us like a rotten egg out of the sky. Now, I'm only halfway kidding. I actually don't really hate them as much as most people do. But if you think of the first generation BMW X6, which arguably started this whole thing back in, what, 2005, 2006? Although I suppose you could go further back and say the Pontiac Aztec was really the first such abomination on the roads. Well, now suddenly coupe SUV things, uh, or what are they called actually? They actually are called something. Oh yeah, they're called four-door coupes. Yeah, coupe by definition cannot be four doors. I mean, it actually, the actual word is coupe, which is French for, well, cut, as in shortened so named because a coupe or a coupe has by definition two doors rather than four get it the, the other the other two doors have been cut off they've been chopped off um so the idea of a four-door coupe is as absurd in practice as it is in language nevertheless they are really popular and but this is all sort of a roundabout way to get to my point that if you want something efficient you don't well coupe the thing you keep it as a boxy well, empty space as much as possible anyway. And so this is why all these things that are trying to move around a bunch of people, they all kind of look the same. And so that's exactly the issue we've got with autonomous pod cars. Of course, they're boxes. Of course, they look like toaster ovens on wheels. They have to be. That's what they're for. The bigger question is, and I should say, therefore, my concern is not really why do they all look the same? Because if indeed they're going to be utilized by primarily, I think, by municipalities to effectively, if not replace, then certainly supplement existing modes of public transit, which, in fact, they absolutely should do. The question becomes, what's going to happen with autonomous car technology? Well, what's going to happen with the design of privately owned and privately used vehicles that have fully autonomous tech? When I say fully autonomous, I mean at least level four, if not level five. And I think in that case, we're going to see, 
rather more familiar kind of genuinely stylish things popping up here and there. And I think to address that particular take on this question of design, we should then skip ahead to the next segment where I'd like to talk a bit about BMW and its recently announced concerns, how they're going to embrace this new trend in AV design. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So yeah, let's let's talk about uh, BMW then, because I stumbled on an article <clears throat> over at Digital Trends, uh, published just a week ago. Uh, the title is "Why Driverless Cars Are Ugly" and how BMW specifically plans to change that. The concern stems exactly from what we were discussing before, right? And there's a great um, conversation with BMW's lead designer, as he says. Quote, unquote, electrification doesn't have a very big impact on how you design a car. The sensors needed for autonomous driving have a bigger influence on the design process. And of course, what he's alluding to here is the fact that, let's face it, if you have any any chance at all of having an autonomous car which can see the world around it sufficiently well to do level four, let alone level five navigation, chances are it's going to have these big, ridiculous LiDAR sensors falling off the sides of it like Shrek's ears. Never mind the fact that Tesla is so far making do with a remarkably uh, clean design, but as virtually everybody listening will be quick to point out, yeah, it's because Tesla don't use LiDAR. That's true. They don't. I'm not going to get into this whole debate again about whether Tesla, you know, whether Elon is right that Tesla and indeed autonomous cars generally don't need LiDAR. You know, the big question of whether cameras and computer vision will be sufficient, but suffice to say, apart from Tesla, there's not a single company in the world who shares that view and LiDAR seems to be here to stay for at least the next five to 10 years. Well, for any company, not Tesla anyway. And so, so yeah, that does raise the big question. If you're going to have these big clunky LiDAR things hanging off the side of a car, what is that going to do for design? Now, fortunately, as we reported, gosh, probably a year ago, Israel-based um, Innoviz, uh, they've been working really hard to develop a solid state LiDAR. And I think that is really going to be the holy grail, cheap or at least not so expensive, really, really small LiDAR. Uh, the difference being it doesn't have this big moving apparatus, uh, you know, this spinning laser apparatus with all sorts of gigantic mirrors inside. Rather, you've got, well, solid-state tech. So the analogy is, say, a solid-state hard drive versus an old-fashioned spinning hard drive, and you that, that's a pretty good analogy of the difference here, right? So there's many different kinds of solid-state uh, LiDAR, uh, and indeed MEMS LiDAR, micro electromechanical systems. We've discussed this quite a bit on a few episodes in the past. You can go do a search and check those out if you'd like. But suffice to say, this was a thing that was meant to become available, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, by next year, 2021. BMW were said to be on their way pending a uh, partnership with Innoviz uh, to release the world's first ever, well, the, the first, uh, to, to release the world's first consumer vehicle equipped with solid state LiDAR. And 
it's meant to be the 2021 three series. Uh, that said, I've not heard anything new about that. So I have no idea what's happening with that. Um, hopefully I can get some more news on that shortly, but suffice to say that should hopefully go a big way towards avoiding the whole floppy ears look on the side of a AV thing is though, it doesn't really address the first question, which was what do you do about design more broadly speaking? Well, I don't think this needs to be such a complicated question because as we've said, there's going to be really sort of two types of AVs. You're going to have the sort that are primarily used as an alternative to public transit. These are going to be largely leased or owned by municipalities around the world. They will look like boxes on wheels. Yeah, they will look like like bread loaves. Fine. But then you're going to have a few of the Indeed, the many privately owned vehicles, and these will be quite stylish indeed. I don't think we have anything to worry about there. For me, the bigger question is actually going to be something like, what's going to happen insofar as the, and admittedly, this is more of a performance question than a design question, mostly anyway. But yeah, how is a vehicle like BMW, which calls itself the ultimate driving machine, how is it going to sell a car without a steering wheel, and still call itself the ultimate driving machine. I mean, I guess it depends on how you parse the grammatical usage of the word driving, whether it's the verb that you, the occupant, are doing, or whether it's a thing which does driving for you. Sure, I guess you can kind of work your way around that bit of logical uh, trickery, but the point is, it's going to be a tricky thing. And forget about BMW, let's, let's step way up there, right? How are cars like Ferrari or Lamborghini, how are they going to do this? How are they going to sell self-driving cars while still claiming to be, well, Ferrari or Lamborghini? There's another way to look at this too, right? So the the logical assumption is that a future of electric AVs, they're going to need to be shared. You really can't have as much private car ownership as now because traffic is going to go up. And we've talked about this a lot in the past. So the analogy that's been suggested is that rightfully so, private car, well, gasoline combustion engine cars and human-driven cars will go the way of the horse and buggy. This is all but certain. Thing is, though, it doesn't mean that human-driven cars will go away completely, but rather they will be still uh, a rich person's plaything in the same way that today, generally speaking, unless you live on a farm, if you're an urban dweller, and yet if you nevertheless have a horse, say, chances are you are rather wealthy and you've got your horse parked away in its beautiful stables somewhere in some beautiful countryside and you fly to it on your private jet. In the same way that having a horse, what admittedly once used to be reserved for, well, everybody, is now indeed typically a thing reserved only for the most wealthy members of society. And so too will it be with ironically, with human-driven cars. I know that seems a bit of a contradiction, a bit of a paradox, but yeah, I think what we're going to see is is this, is that ordinary people will be sharing autonomous cars. Really, really wealthy people will be having one or both things. They will have both a privately owned and privately used vehicle with autonomous capability. They will also have, for fun, a good old-fashioned gasoline-powered sports car for use on the weekends in the same way they have their horse. Either way, you're going to have to be really wealthy if you either want a privately-owned car, which is autonomous, or a gasoline-powered, human-driven car. Um, alternatively, yeah, you're going you're gonna to be sharing an autonomous bread loaf on wheels, and that's just the way it's going to be. All right, and to close out things today, I don't want to talk about this too much because we obviously talked quite a bit about this uh, in the previous episode, but... It was an interview with Voyage CEO Oliver Cameron, 
uh, over at TechCrunch. Uh, this was published just yesterday. And the question, of course, was how is COVID impacting Voyage? And the answer was something like, well, Voyage is not exactly benefiting from COVID, obviously, but it's also not at risk of going under. Well, that's good and well to hear. But the question becomes, why? What's going on? Well, suffice to say, Voyage had already stopped uh, testing uh, on streets because they didn't want to risk having anything go wrong with the target community that they were testing with, which was primarily retirement communities. And they didn't want to end up being labeled, as Cameron called it, as uh, patient zero. You know, they're continuing to operate remotely. They're doing testing in simulation land and so on and so forth. I still gonna, I've still got to throw out there what I've been saying now for a while, which is, look, during this COVID outbreak, we've got a bunch of unused roads. Again, Oakland, California, across from San Francisco, uh, they've just closed down 75 miles of roads and opened them up to pedestrians and bicyclists. I do not think it's a stretch to suggest that at least some of that should be set aside to help fast track AV testing and deployment and little by little ramp up driverless ride sharing. Because frankly, the sooner this can be demonstrated to be safer than human driven ride sharing insofar as helping to slow the spread of COVID, well, so much the better. I mean, history has shown time and again that disasters, especially the global sort, really cause countries to fast track, well, everything. I mean, whether it's economically, practically or otherwise, right? So I don't know, this this is something I think is really worth discussing further. And frankly, if anybody listening wants to jump on the podcast with me to have a chat about this, and, you know, if you think I'm wrong about what I'm saying, let's have it. So um, anyway, enough about that. Let's call it a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you back here on uh, Friday. And again, just a friendly reminder, if you're interested in AV's impact on the construction space, on cities generally, please don't forget to head on over to hogandco.com. Click the link at the top of the page to register via Eventbrite if you'd like to catch our webinar on May 7th. Thanks again so much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.